The camera pans. A boy sits alone in his room. Standing between him and the world is only a microphone. Act 1, Scene 5, The Greatest Business Ever. Welcome back to Lost in Gown, the Fletcher Hummingbird story, now on episode 5. You may have noticed that last week the podcast took a brief hiatus as I did an upload. And the main reason for that was I had a lot of things going on in my life. A lot of big changes, not only for me, but for a lot of people. It all really started with the reopening of Kansas from the stay-at-home order, as announced by Governor Laura Kelly. And this is a phased reopen where people and businesses are slowly being pushed back to normal. If you know me personally, you would know that I work at Goodwill. And so somehow Goodwill worked its way into the first phase of the Kansas reopening, meaning that my time as being a laid-off worker has come to an end. And as of last Monday, I was called back into work, which, although it seems like a really good thing, and deep down I know it's a good thing because I need to go to work and make money and do all that stuff, I can't act like being laid off wasn't one of the best things that has ever happened to me. The amount of extra time I had not working was incredible, and it allowed me to just do so many things and just spend so much time doing more things that I wanted to do that I didn't have before. But at the same time, it has been nice to get back to work, to have a routine again, to get myself to stop staying up so late and sleeping in so long. It is a change of pace and something that I can't say is invited, but something I'm ready to go into. Though I will say it was kind of strange going to work for at least the first day. Um, upon re-entering, we had a staff meeting right at the beginning of the day, where we all gathered inside of the office, distancing our chairs from one another, and logging on to Zoom, where the district manager or some higher up in the Goodwill hierarchy introduced us to the new Goodwill in the age of the coronavirus, which is definitely very different than the old Goodwill, as my job has changed a lot. The personal interaction that I used to have, taking out a bin to take people's donations, bringing it back in, has now gone away as I stay inside and let people load the, their donations into a bin on their own, where I'll take it back inside when they're safely away, avoiding any unnecessary conflict. But despite all these new guidelines, I can't help but feel just a bit uneasy. I realize now every day I go to work, in some way I am putting myself at risk, taking donations from 
dozens of people every single day coming in contact with different items touched by any number of people before it could have gotten to me, it's a little concerning and scary. And I don't really know how to grapple with it because I was just called back and it seemed expected that I should be ready and willing to go back to work. And a part of this that kind of didn't sit well with me is in that Zoom meeting that I talked about earlier, whoever was leading it mentioned that we hope that your return to work can provide you a sense of normalcy that we're all looking for nowadays. And this was really, to be honest, insulting. The fact that it would be thought that I would desire a sense of normalcy before a sense of safety, that me coming into work should just be a given, is kind of ridiculous, especially coming from somebody who isn't working on the retail end, who isn't taking on the actual risk. I am the person doing the cleaning that they decided was going to keep me safe. It's a little bit ridiculous. And it reminded me of a New York Times article that I skimmed through, where a New York City subway conductor who had been diagnosed with COVID-19 was quoted to say, We are not essential, we are sacrificial. And I can't help but kind of feel that way, as if my work is obviously not essential. As much as I value Goodwill and enjoy shopping at Goodwill, I recognize that it's not needed to sustain civil society. It just kind of seems that the people making the decisions about who is taking on the risk of getting infected are those with the least chance. Either that being CEOs and higher-ups of companies calling people back to work, or governors and politicians doing the same. But, I don't know. I guess I hope that this whole situation at least shines a little bit of a light on the troubling relationship that we seem to have towards work, and the insatiable desire to put ourselves at risk just to keep the economy running. It's something that I guess has been a problem throughout American history, dating all the way back to slavery. And I definitely would not compare my situation to slavery in any way, but it's just a way to show how obsessed we've always been with producing as much as possible with human suffering being an afterthought to how much we can create. But I don't know. I'm just kind of ranting and maybe it's just me being lazy and not wanting to go back to work. And then the other big piece of news in my life over the past two weeks is I've now finished high school. I'm done. Which doesn't even seem right anymore. I remember being a freshman and just thinking that it almost seems like high school will never end. It feels like I've been in there forever, and honestly, it still kind of feels like I am, despite all the crazy things that are going on in the world right now. I always thought about that last day of high school and how excited I would be walking out of that building for the last time, and now here I am, not walking out of that building, 
Or, well, if I'm going to be honest, I did actually go to the high school today to do an equipment drop-off, but it doesn't really carry the same weight of hearing that bell ring for the last time and knowing that you're finally out. But I can't lie, I'm relieved nonetheless. Being out of high school is pretty awesome and marks a pretty significant time in my life, a big shift to where now no longer is my hand being held guiding me through each thing that I need to do day after day, but now it's really the beginning of my life where some people are going to be starting jobs, working, trying to get a house, and other people are going to school, and it's weird. This is the point where everyone that I have grown up with is now no longer forced to see each other. And instead, every decision we make from here on out is because we want to, or at least we feel we need to. So the other day I was on a plane. I'm not quite sure where I was going, but I was sitting next to my dad and all of a sudden it started getting turbulent. The plane started bouncing up and down, a little more aggressive than I'm normally used to. Then all of a sudden it felt like we were going downwards and all of a sudden it seemed like I was looking down on the rest of the plane in front of me and the shaking continued and grew more and more violent. People seemed to start to panic and then the intercom came over, the pilot was speaking. He said, I'm sorry, I don't think we're going to be making it home today. And it was at this point I realized that we're going to crash. So I look over to my dad and he looks back at me and says, well, you live in the same world you die. And then I woke up. And, yeah, sorry, not to scare you, I didn't actually get into a plane crash. It was all just a dream, but it was really haunting. And I had this dream, actually, almost two weeks ago. It was right after I recorded the podcast. And when I woke up from it, jumping out of my bed, I immediately had to write that down. Well, you live in the same world you die. And I wish this was a story that ended with me giving you some deep analysis on what that could possibly mean. But if I'm going to be honest, I have no clue what that means. And it might be meaningless, but something about that just has stuck with me. I don't usually write down things that I dream about ever. But that one moment was just so harrowing. That one sentence, you live in the same world you die. No clue what it means. And if you have any ideas, let me know. Uh, It's kind of dark, but I don't know. It's been something that I'm thinking about and felt like it was something that I could share. So another thing that happened in the last few weeks was a failed coup attempt in Venezuela. 
And although this podcast is definitely not a place where I would typically talk about failed coup attempts, this story is just so ridiculous that I cannot help but talk about it. So one day I can go back and laugh about it again because this is hilarious. So a former Navy SEAL told Vox about the plan for this coup that it's so mind-bogglingly dumb. And when you read into it, it absolutely is mind-bogglingly dumb and just so strange. So the main character of our story is a man named Jordan Gordreau. And somehow this former Green Beret ended up being a part of a failed coup attempt in Venezuela. And this story is unbelievable. So the plan was to have a large military rebel group of over 300 men with lots of U.S.-backed weaponry and helicopters ready to go to overthrow the government of Venezuela. The issue is that this wouldn't happen. The plan involved invading where the president of Venezuela currently is and capturing him and eventually helicoptering him back to the United States where he can face drug trafficking charges and then the new rebel-supported president would then take over. And this would involve lots of American guns and weaponry provided by the U.S. government. Unfortunately, None of this really happened. The 300 plus men crew that they had originally planned for eventually dwindled down to 60. And all that US backed guns and equipment also would not come. But Jordan and his friend in the Venezuelan rebel group would go ahead and push forward anyway and not succeed or even get remotely close. And part of the issue here was that Jordan Gaudreau, while performing this operation, would be live tweeting it and announcing it to the world that he is trying to overthrow the Venezuela government. Unfortunately, the 60-person group wasn't able to do that. Or maybe not even unfortunately. I don't really have a stance on Venezuelan leadership. But the story here is just unbelievable, especially because how does a former Green Beret get involved in leading a military coup in Venezuela? Well, that's the even better story. Jordan Gaudreau is one of the strangest men I've ever read about, and my snap conclusion is he's kind of a scumbag. So Jordan Gaudreau, after a long and successful military career, would eventually be stationed or not stationed, just living in Florida as a civilian after retiring. And as one of his friends reported, had over $100,000 in debts in 2018, which seems like just another sad veteran story of falling into too much debt, not getting the benefits that they deserved or something like that. But Jordan was not ready to do that. Jordan was ready to make a name for himself, realizing that there was a big market in private security and that former military members can get a lot can get a lot of money by installing private security for people. But Jordan wasn't satisfied with taking the normal private security route. And instead, after the Parkland shooting in 2018 of a school, uh, Jordan saw a business opportunity here. 
And this business opportunity is maybe the greatest business idea that's ever been thought of. Like this is some Steve Jobs stuff here. So Gordreau's idea to protect schools across the country was to have former military specialists and highly trained people infiltrate school districts and act as teachers. But their job wouldn't solely to just be teachers there in case a shooting broke out so they could stop the shooting, but they also had some things in mind for prevention here, where Jordan was hoping to have his employees work and be those cool teachers that were able to spark up conversations with students who may tip them off to being having intentions of shooting up the school. As Jordan Gordreau quotes here, he says, he's just a He's a cool shop teacher. Hey, what's up, fellas? And this was said at an expo per the Sun Sentinel, play acting an imaginary conversation that might take place between a student and one of his specialized teachers. And one of the even more ridiculous parts of this business plan was Jordan planned to not have the school districts directly pay Um, directly pay his private security firm to do this, but instead wanted the parents to pay a service fee of, yes, he had already figured out the service fee, $8.99 a month, which, when you think about this, has just so many logistical barriers here where it makes absolutely no sense. How are you going to get all of these parents to just in unison pay $8.99 a month to do this? What if they refuse to? Do you pull out your teachers then? How do you actually get these people who aren't educated to be a teacher teaching jobs in the first place? These questions didn't really have any answers, but the funniest part about the parent subscription service is the reason that he wanted it was to remain independent from any district's chain of command which I don't really know how he plans to do if he wants to get people to have actual teaching jobs. The more I read about this, the more, though, it is a bit saddening um, because it seems like there is kind of a lot of popularity for ideas about just militarizing schools and finding ways to make them hard targets to avoid school shootings when even Jordan Gordreau, the biggest champion of militarizing schools, realizes that the best way to stop school shootings is to prevent them from starting in the first place. That's why he wanted his teachers who were entering to try and be able to get tipped off of potential shooting attempts. And the truth is that there are people here, or there are at least supposed to be people in every school in America whose job is to make sure students aren't having thoughts like that make sure students aren't developing violent tendencies. But unfortunately, the role of the school counselor seems to be diminishing further and further as schools across America adopt school resource officers and any other myriad of ways to try and prevent school shootings that ignore the value of school counselors who seem to be getting cut back across all of America in favor of just militarizing schools. But long story short, or really short story short, it failed 
For some strange reason, schools didn't want to sign on to his secret teacher service. Oh well. But Jordan, though, would move on and eventually find a private security job in Venezuela, where he would be hosting security for a concert in support of rebel forces against the Venezuela leadership. And while hosting this private security, Jordan would come in, come in contact with a rebel leader in Venezuela who would eventually tee him off on a possible plan to overthrow the government. And a few phone calls later, Jordan would be planning this and would be in full force trying to overthrow the Venezuelan government. Until, as we know now, he failed. So that's the story of the recent failed coup in Venezuela. It really reads like a movie, but less Mission Impossible and more like a comedy. But this coup just has miles and miles of depth, of just twists and turns that make it just more and more ridiculous the more you go through. And the fact that this just happened in real life and that the backstory is also as rich as it is, it's incredible. So now on to the tweet of the day, which for the second consecutive episode will be me cheating and reading a picture, but this picture comes from some forum website. I'm going to be honest, I don't know what it is, but it is titled The Shopping Cart Theory. And it goes, the shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task, and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do, because it is correct. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal, an absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with a law and the force that stands behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. And this tweet is just so hilarious to me because the shopping cart, I never thought, had so much value. And... I definitely, at some points in my life, have not returned the shopping cart out of laziness. And it really made me reevaluate what I thought about um, uh, how I treat the shopping cart and the significance that a shopping cart really holds. Um, I'm not sure if I have any deeper of a take on this tweet, but it is something that I thought was pretty amusing. And now, from now on, I probably will always think about that every time I see a shopping cart and will likely start returning shopping carts every time I have one now. So, in a small way, this tweet may have changed my life. So, the song of the day today will be Moon River by Frank Ocean. And this song is a cover of the classic song, Moon River. 
and it is just an awesome song. I don't really have a deep analysis for this song. It's, you know, the lyrics have been around for probably 50 years by now, but the way that Frank Ocean is able to add his own spin on a song that has been covered time and time again is amazing. And I have listened to this song so many times, the way that the end fades out into just sounds of nature. And the song is just this serene, lush, just ballad um, with some calm guitar strumming in the back. And it's incredible. And the main reason that I picked this song was because now that high school has come to a close, I can say unequivocally that the most important musical artist for me in this time has been Frank Ocean. His album Blonde released in 2016, and it's that was the time of my freshman year. And since then, I probably have listened to no album more than Blonde. I would tell anybody that it's my favorite album that has ever come out. I can listen to any song, even the skits that are just other people talking over some piano. It's something I can always go back to, a timeless piece of work. And admittedly, this song is not on that album. This song released in 2018, which was the only Frank Ocean song that released in 2018. And it kind of marks this halfway point of Frank Ocean between Blonde, the string of singles that would come after, and then it would be Moon River placed in the middle between now the string of songs that he's coming out with now. But I guess I picked this song because I have a very clear memory attached to this song. I remember listening to it once in my bedroom, and then the next day I was on a trip for debate with my team, which at the time consisted of three people, and I think we were going to Oklahoma at the time for a tournament. And I remember turning back to Kenton, who makes the interlude music on this podcast, and he's one of my best friends. And I asked him, hey, have you heard the new Frank Ocean song? He said, what? There's a new Frank Ocean song? And then he didn't have any headphones or anything. So just in the back of this big van that we're in, he just holds his phone to his ear and listens to this song. And I I just have a very clear memory of that. And I think it's something really funny. And just another example of just all the memories that I have to Frank Ocean's music and the things that I'll be able to look back on anytime I hear those songs. And it's one of my favorite parts of music is when you're able to listen to a song and it brings you back to one specific moment and it will always be attached to that song. So that's the song of the day, Moon River by Frank Ocean. As with every other song of the day, I highly recommend you go and listen to it. And maybe it'll bring you back to a memory that you had forgotten, or maybe you can make a new one to the song. I don't know. The camera remains focused on the boy sitting alone in his room as it slowly fades to black.
there it is, episode five of Lost in Gown, the Fletcher Hummingbird story. Um, uh, be ready. Next week, I will have another episode on Thursday. Gonna start getting back into doing it weekly. It felt weird to not be recording the podcast um, in that last week, even though I was super busy and stressed, and I knew if I didn't make an episode, it wasn't going to turn out good. But uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening.